Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The NBA playoffs are heating up with two exciting Game 7s in the first round. The team with the best record struggling against the four seed crazy finishes in a possible L.A. versus L.A. Western Conference Final. Feels more like March Madness than the NBA playoffs, and today we have one of the sport's signature voices joining us to share his thoughts on all of it. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Mark Kestisher, Kesty to his friends, has been the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio since 2016. Kesty also provides commentary for ESPN Radio's NFL, college football, and college basketball broadcasts and is a fixture at major events such as the NBA All-Star Weekend, NBA Finals, NBA Draft, World Series, Major League Baseball All-Star Game, and the College Football National Championship Game. I could go on for another five minutes, Kesty, but I'm probably embarrassing you by enlisting all of your accolades. So instead, I'll just say, welcome, sir, and thanks for being with us on the Mike Wine Show. Mike, it's good to be with you. When I hear all the things I have to do, I get a little bit nervous. It's better when it just creeps up on me season by season. It's like somebody asking me, uh, how's your book going? Like, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm in my office sequestered. I haven't seen my family for a week. I don't want to hear, you know, how my book's going. I'm deliberating. I'm trying, you know, I've got writer's block. What do you want? Exactly. Me, you know? that, that's how it feels for me. Sometimes I go summer league on a midnight flight to the East Coast to do the home run derby. And it's just, it all, it all comes together and somehow comes out uh, in a fashion that, that I, I like and love going season to season. This is, a little, this is testing us a little bit, yeah. uh, the, the new normal of broadcasting, but uh, quite a unique perspective from here in the bubble. You're going to be interested by the, you, you, you're the first guest I've had from the bubble. Oh, I mean, I, I, I didn't even think to call, I figured I wouldn't bother, uh, you know, I know some of the players, but I don't, I don't feel like I want, but I thought, you know what, well, when did you check in? Like I say, from when was the first day you were in Orlando? The first day I got here was July 28th. So it was two days before our first broadcast, which was the first day of the restart. And uh, for your listeners and your viewers, there's two bubbles here. The play-by-play and analyst broadcasters, not the sidelines, because they're in the, Mm -hmm. I call it the intense green bubble. We're in the less intense yellow bubble. So I have, you know, we're tested twice a week. Uh, We have to stay here at the hotel. There is a golf course attached, so that's a nice thing (laughs) when you have an off day. Uh, But I'm allowed to uh, come and go as long as I re-enter and quarantine every time I come. So I've already been home a couple of times. Uh, Sean Kelly is uh, my broadcast partner. He's our second play-by-play. So 
he'll tag team with me in and out. Uh, but when I come back on September the 10th, I am here for the final five weeks, conference finals all the way through the finals. So that'll be my toughest test. Will you have any family in with you? No, no family allowed. Uh, very strict downstairs. Even in the hotel, you have to have your credential on at all times. So no guests, no friends, no family. So I don't know, do you have kids? I have one daughter who fortunately uh, graduated college this past spring. Oh, you're good. Lot, you started early. But I didn't have to worry about, you know, um, her having to go back to school here in the fall. Um, yeah. you know, she's, she's job hunting like uh, millions of Americans right now, but she's at home uh, with her mom and uh, yeah. kind of glad they're, they're together and having a good time while I'm down here. Well, it's it, also, she's probably got a lot of issues, all the traveling you did young, you probably were out of her life and she's probably going to therapy for that right now. <laughs> probably. <laughs> you, know, you know, I have to say the hiatus though was uh, if you had to find a silver lining in a very difficult time in our yeah. age and in the world. Uh, was that I got four and a half months just oh. with my wife and daughter and, you know, we're I, cooking together and we had a great time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. I, uh, the, every time I want to scream at my kids when they, when they close their Zoom screen doing Zoom learning and their, their teacher just wonders where they went, I, I think to myself, you know what, how many times in life am I going to get this time, time with my kids? And especially after all the traveling I've done over the years, you know, I just, um, so. Everything you missed, all the recitals, all the games. It was uh, not that you could make up for it in four and a half months, but we certainly tried. Did you, um, you obviously are tight with PJ and the people you work with, PJ Carlesmo, and who's been a really good friend to this program. Do you, do you go fishing together? Do you go golf together? What do you, obviously uh, you eat together, but um, I mean, is there a real social life there or is, or is it Kesty going to the arena, Kesty going to his hotel and sleeping and trying to get in a game of golf every night? Yeah, I, we try to be, I, I'm a social person. PJ is a social person. John Barry also who I work with as well. Love John. And those guys love to golf. And I brought my golf clubs down on July 28th. And even when I've gone home uh, here at our hotel, the golf course that's attached, they've been so kind to take our golf clubs, leave them in their closet, and I'll leave them here till mid-October. So generally, if there's an off day and we're not scheduled to uh, do interviews with coaches, Zoom interviews with coaches, we'll try to get 18 holes in if we can. You do have to time it out, though, here in Central Florida because uh, every day between 2 and 4, there's going to be a, a vicious thunderstorm that rolls through. All right. So try to get that early tea time. So that – and a few meals here and there, uh, you know, we're allowed to take our masks off as long as we're, uh, you know, sitting down and eating a meal and we're six feet apart. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a strange new normal like anywhere else in the country, but we do try to, uh, you know, take advantage of uh, the time that we don't usually get. Usually it's game, head to the airport, head to the next city. So this has uh, actually been nice in some ways. I feel um, a little hypocritical because while I didn't call for the abolition of every sport, I felt like, you know, we don't need sports like we used to. And yet I'm, I'm cooked um, on the NBA and some of the games and the, the dr drama of the playoffs. For you, as a person who's sort of lived and died off crazy crowds and the, you know, the excitement, is it, is it weird calling a game with nobody in the stands? It's very strange. The strangest part, Mike, is – four minutes before a game, right before the players come out to do layup line, yeah, there's nothing in the building. Sometimes there's no music, and you're like, game seven of the first round is four minutes from getting underway. Oh. This is so odd. Yeah. And then take it to the end of the game, 
where, you know, the Nuggets won in game seven, right, beating Utah with that crazy finish. Yeah. And the next night we had Houston and Oklahoma City, and it's all excitement. TV goes, you know, to studio. Radio finishes our we go to studio, take off the headsets. Everybody's gone. There's not a soul in the building. Nobody. Nice. And then you walk outside and there's nothing out there. You walk to your car and it's a 10-minute drive to the hotel. It's the strangest thing. But in-game, I have to say, um, and not so much the virtual fans for us on the radio side, but the artificial crowd noise, yeah. those headphones on, I, I'm transposed right to a building that would be 20,000 people. For some mm -hmm. reason, it just sounds really good with the headphones on. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I know there was a point during the – Utah's comeback against Denver in the third quarter. Donovan Mitchell just taking over the game. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, these guys are coming back from down 20. I'm not getting a vibe here. Like, you know, I want, I, I want to just madness. And, of course, it's something you have to get used to. The players obviously put on some very good performances, so they're, they're not as caring. But I, I, I want to go back, oh, back to Dave Wall, who came on this show a little bit ago. And he made the point that, look, people want to put an asterisk on this season. I think the asterisk should be, this might be the hardest championship that anybody's ever won. It's basically two seasons and you're in the bubble for all this time. Uh, is there something to be said for that? That, that you really, you really had to find yourself in this, whatever bubble ball is, you had to adapt to that in some way, some shape or form. You know, I agree with that a lot on many points. One being, as you mentioned, with the, the fact there's no real fans here, I give so much credit to the players because as a broadcaster, and I would think even more as a player, you get so much energy off those crowds. You, so here in the bubble, you have to create that energy. And for it to look like a basketball game that we would see at any other time in NBA history, right, especially the last 20, 30 years, um, you know, that I've been watching NBA basketball is they've been able to bring their own energy to make this game look like it would look anywhere else. So that's part one. Yeah. And then the other part of, you know, talking about an asterisk is the fact that this is a mental game here. I mean, we're now in day 60. We may be approaching day 65 for the eight teams that are still here. Some are finally getting their family here in the second round. Not everybody, you know, has yeah. brought their family. Um, so they're getting, uh, you know, uh, wives and girlfriends and children here. And to last, think about those two teams that'll go to October, whatever it is, 10th, 15th, we go six, seven games. Mm. I mean, you're talking, I think it's 20 weeks, right? When it's all said and done. Yeah. And, and look here at the media hotel, we have some ability, like I said earlier to, to move here and there. But I've driven by the hotels where the players are staying. There are two to three, um, you know, cop cars positioned, mostly to keep people out, but also prevents, you know, anyone from getting out. So Yeah, what are you doing? You're leaving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they are truly, to me, it's a mental game to be able to come down here, play basketball every day, and then theoretically, I don't know how the schedule is going to end up working out, Mike, but you saw Jamal Murray after they won game seven. He had no clue they were playing in 48 hours. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And and, and they may have to go every other day. And, you know, the schedules are usually elongated. Yeah. Uh, so you have a little bit of built-in rest. Uh, this is going to be a mental and physical grind all the way to the end. You uh, were recording this game. I'm sorry, recording this podcast um, uh, on Friday. It's the day after you called that blowout last night in the Western Conference semifinals. 
boy, I, the Clippers just looked – I know they were rested and, and the Nuggets were just coming off a, a brutal seven-game series. But the Clippers look good. I, I, don't, I don't know if the Lakers could even beat them. They, they look exactly how we thought they would look from day one, right? We've been waiting. Yeah. And I know, you know, injuries and uh, here at the bubble, you know, between Lou Williams and then Montrez Harrell, you never got a sense of what this team could be. And it still astounds me. Uh, there's a stat they keep in the Clippers uh, media um, uh, book that said, I think last night was the 13th game that they had their top eight. So the rotational wow. guy, 13. And here we are at the start of the playoffs. And by the way, they're 12 and one in those 13 games. The only loss was the loss to the Lakers uh, right before the hiatus in early March. So look, defensively, that's where we thought that that would be the hallmark of that team. I mean, between Kawhi and Paul George and now Pat Beverly's back and the length of that team, it's scary to watch them when they're working at 100%. And they haven't been in a long time, uh, but that game one against Denver was probably a scary proposition for the rest of the league that remains. Well, Patrick Beverly's that guy that, that you hate to play against, but you love to have him on your team. He's just a, how do I say this nicely, a shitster. <laughs> and he, he's just, he doesn't care. And he's, he put his head into Jamal Murray's uh, esophagus. It doesn't matter. He wants to, he stops the ball. He, he messes with your head. He's one of these guys that, I mean, he's got a lot of Rodman in him. And, uh, you know, the role I'm thinking Anthony Mason for the Knicks, like those role players that, you know, they were never going to go to the Hall of Fame, but they were so indispensable because they created havoc. They got inside people. They got under people's skin. And surely he does. I, I, I think he's like the X factor in many ways. Yeah, he really is. I mean, you're right. He's that guy you want on your team, and he is the absolute pest right. when he's on the other team. And, and even he doesn't have to be in the game. If he's on the bench, he's worse. I mean, yeah. you know, just – Ask a couple guys who've had to hear his earful uh, from the bench. But he backs it up, right? He brings a ton of energy, and he gives Doc Rivers uh, a lot of flexibility, especially yeah. defensively, because he's, he's fearless. So if, if they stay healthy, and Montrez Harrell, I thought, at the end of the Dallas series, that last game, and then the first game against Denver, looks like he's finally back up to speed. And that bench, that second unit, is obviously the best in the NBA and just gives Doc Rivers uh, – all kind of flexibility moving forward. I don't defensively. I yeah. I just think that the Clippers are going to, if not lock down Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, I think they're going to you know contain them at least and make other people beat them. I, I, if if they go to the West East Western Conference Finals and the Lakers go to the Western Conference Finals, could this be a situation? I don't want to say they're so stacked that, that Milwaukee or Boston, whoever comes out of the East or shoot at this point, Miami, who knows, um, won't have a shot. But, but I almost feel like it's, you go back to the Kings and the Lakers. Um, whoever won that Western Conference final was essentially going to be the NBA champion. Everybody knew it. And I feel like there's, now that Milwaukee's shown um, an Achilles heel, uh, uh, they really, you just don't know what they're going to be. I, I don't know. I, I, I got a sense that that could be our NBA title. It feels like, I mean, for how many years, you know, you felt um, like even in the Western Conference Finals. Golden State, right. Yeah, during that whole run, that uh, especially, you know, if the East was down or I think the last year LeBron was in Cleveland. Remember, they didn't have a great regular season. They were great no. at flipping the switch. And you never said that they had no chance, but it just felt like it was Golden State's uh, to win. It does feel that way. It felt that way from the beginning. You know, we thought 
Uh, we would have uh, an all Los Angeles conference final, which would have been interesting in the fact that you could go to one city and not have to travel. And as it turns out, you can do that apparently in the bubble in Orlando if that happens, because we're doing these games night after night, so it doesn't matter. But um, yeah, Milwaukee has shown some of the same issues they showed during the Eastern Conference Finals last year against Toronto, and we'll see if they could uh, turn that around against Miami. And then, you know, without uh, – I, I, I can't even remember the last time I saw a pass like Kyle Lowry delivered uh, with half a second to go to OG Ananobi to Ooh. save Toronto's, you know, season last night to get that yeah. to 2-1. to I mean, all those teams are fascinating and have great head coaches – uh, but on paper, and you know, we're always talking on paper. It feels like the Clippers and the Lakers are just a step above. I, I feel the same way, and I, I also I, I don't know if it's it's just me, but the whole bubble ball thing, I think it it lends itself to if for some reason Toronto did get down 0-3, I, w- I wouldn't put it past the, anybody to come back from 0-3. Because you're not going through that environment where oh they got the home crowd or they got you know and you know even if you're the even if you're the the team that's uh, ahead 0-3 at no point are you know you, like I could see I could see you getting into panic mode a lot easier um, when you don't have your own your own home court I, yeah, will it happen probably not but but you know just the fact that um, one let's see is it one series has gone from three one to game seven. Um, and I thought that, the, you know, I, I didn't think the Rockets would have that much trouble. You know, it's interesting because you think if there was ever a time the NBA would have its first team come back from down three games to none, I guess this would be the place. And you're right, that's where truly the lack of home court advantage is felt the most is, look, you usually reassess after two games. And in the East, you would have had both road teams coming home yeah. to lead and that's completely different than you know what we're seeing here and again testament to the players to create their own energy but I have a feeling we've seen some things here in the bubble that you know maybe we wouldn't see uh, during a regular NBA season in home arenas with fans and home court advantage but I, I feel we're going to see something incredibly odd and um, unique before this whole thing is over and one of them could be down 0-3. Yeah when I um, I wanted to go to a personal note because when I when I first um, got my job at the New York Times covering the Nets, I think it was in '94. I had no job to speak of. I had no pedigree. I went to Fresno State. I had you know it, it was it was on a lark that they hired me, and it changed my life. I, I'm looking at you now, and here's this guy. You obviously went to a very good the Syracuse school. Who's got some of the best sports broadcasting alumni in, in our in the world. And, and I think to myself, it, there, there are times you might, even though you're around my age, I think you're a little younger. You, you might, you must pinch yourself. Sometimes you're sitting next to Hubie Brown or you're something like, you know, you're with these, you're with these people that I just remember like the moment somebody like bird or somebody knew my name. Cause I was covering him. And it just like, wait a minute, I'm not working at the little paper in Sacramento anymore. And I'm sure, you know, there's a part of you being from Albany, New York, uh, you know, having done some work with the Albany Patroons, right. there might, there's probably a little bit of that in you still. Oh, there's tons of it. I, I went yeah. to Syracuse University, but as I, uh, I'm, I'm here, you know, Ian Eagle is here. We were in the same yeah. at SU. Uh, Dave Pash is here, another Syracuse guy. 
And most of them don't realize I started out in the chemical engineering school. I was a chemical engineering major for my first two years at Syracuse and took wait, a- Wait a minute, let's, let's go back a little bit here. Yeah, I think, I think I might've opened that up for you there. Yeah, well, you've gone from, you could have been, you could have saved us from the virus. You could have come up with a vaccine by now to you're just in the bubble waiting for golf and calling basketball games. I'm ashamed of you, Mark. I really well, am. Based, I based on my grades, my freshman and sophomore year, I wasn't going to come up with any kind of okay, all right. Uh, I always wanted to be a broadcaster. I mean, that yeah. was, I loved radio, uh, but I never, um, I guess I, I always say my parents never saw it as a, a viable uh, you know, job to follow or to study at college. And I was good at math and science. But the problem was I went to every game at the Carrier Dome, didn't study enough. And by the time I finished my sophomore year, I had to kind of reassess what my career goals were. And I had so many friends in the Newhouse School, and I had already identified years ago that's what I wanted to do. So I went on this crazy adventure of uh, taking as many television, radio, film courses I could. I had I dropped out of Syracuse. I went to the University of Albany to try to finish my degree. And my internship was with the Albany Yankees in 1989, <laughs> managed, by, managed by Buck Walter with an outfit oh. of Bernie Williams, Deion Sanders, and Gerald Williams. And from there, I landed with the Albany Patroons, whose announcer got a AAA baseball job at Christmas. And I was 21 years old. And the general manager sent me on a road trip to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where John Starks was leading their CBA team. And from there, they kept me. That was my audition. And I, I told my parents I'd go back and graduate college as soon as I, uh, you know, run out of avenues to go down. And next thing I know, I'm at ESPN. And here we are, still waiting to finish that degree. <laughs> this is a great story. You know, you got your degree, but you, yeah. Uh, do you still have nightmares of like somebody like you, you, you didn't, you didn't, sh you showed up late for a test like uh, other people or, or, or you, no, it didn't hurt you. Why would you even worry about that? No, the only thing I do have nightmares still is, and at ESPN radio, I was an update anchor 20 minutes every, you know, three times an hour. Yeah. Still have the dream where the music has started and my script is completely blank and I have not paid attention to sports that day. That's the scary dream. <laughs> oh, that, okay, I can see that. That's the announcer scary dream. It is. Uh, you, you, you got to the Albany Patroons after Phil Jackson, didn't you? Yeah, I was in high school when Phil was there. I was in college when Bill Musselman was there. Um, yeah. Uh, George Carl was my coach. Terry Stotts was his assistant. And that's that was pretty a cool. Six team. That was a great team. Was George Carl a nut then too? What, uh, yes. He, well, he was, he was, I think, had already gotten to his 40s. He was in his early 40s. Yeah. He was back from Real Madrid right before he went to Seattle. And uh, he was still, there was moments of uh, lunacy, but he was great. He, oh, he, hey, no, we love, you know, I, I say nuts in a good way. He, yes. He's just eccentric, off the handle. But I, I love that he puts himself out there. So many people oh, won't. Great. He used to take yeah. us out to uh, lunch on game days, dinner on non-game days. And the, the only caveat was it was free, but he ordered. And I, had, <laughs> I still have the worst palate. So he would order stuff that <laughs> I just could not eat. But I think he had fun doing that to me. And he would buy me ties and socks, you know, dress socks along the way for all of us. And I think I still have a few of those ties in my rotation. That's pretty cool. Oh, man. Uh, shoot, true or false, PJ Carlissimo knows every restaurant manager in North America and is able to get his colleagues a table for a post-game meal even after closing time. True, and he knows every maitre d's name, every bartender's name. It's wow. unbelievable 
I think it's the first thing he does when he walks into a hotel or restaurant is he figures out everyone's name and he remembers it for the, the remainder of time. Absolutely true. Yeah. Um, Hubie Brown, you know, we know he's a Hall of Famer and a force in nature, even as he approaches his 87th birthday. Do you have a favorite Hubie story? <laughs> oh, man. Or can you tell I, it? I guess I, I should ask. I love Hubie's stories to me because yeah. any situation that comes up in basketball and you ask him about it, you know, whether it was a foul call or a play yeah. design, and it will always go back to any time in his NBA career, perhaps even, you know, his college coaching career. And, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe back to the days, you know, during World War II, post-World War II. Um, my favorite recollection, though, is being the studio host when Dr. Jack Ramsey and Hubie Brown were in a three-man booth with Jim Durham. Uh. And we would go out to dinner. And those guys had so much respect for each other. But they weren't afraid to argue. Like, we've kind of lost that in today's world sure. where, you know, we're so divided on our opinions that you can't even have a friendly conversation or be friends if you don't agree on the same thing. And so I was always amazed at how they could take two different views of a big play during, let's just say, the 2009 finals, for example. And they would have the salt and the pepper shaker and the sugar packets and they'd lay it all on the table, and each of them would diagram the play, and then kind of yell at each other, like, Hubie, you can't do this when you're doing that. And, uh, and they would just go back and forth and what they would do in that situation. Uh, I, I love those moments and treasure those. That's, that's tremendous. Uh, the, yeah, 2009, so that would have been the Lakers and the Magic. You would have been. Now, if you are Kobe Bryant, and you are in the painted area, <laughs> See? and they are guarding you like – Dwight Howard can't. You are screwed. <laughs> but, right. Uh, I, I try to do my Hubie Brown impression, and man. then people tell me it's Yiddish Hubie Brown. For some reason, I end up with a little <laughs> bit of a, a Yiddish uh, accent to it. I don't know how, but that's usually Mitch, Mitch, my friend Mitch Lawrence, former NBA uh, writer for the New York Daily News, he does a great Hubie. He is very special. He's a wonderful man. Uh, I miss him this time around. He's not coming into the bubble for obvious reasons, you know, due to his age. And I've worked uh, the last three, three or four conference finals and finals with him. But he is, he has amazing stamina. And this isn't just, you know, his game preparation, which has yeah. never changed, his broadcast preparation. But we did the Eastern finals and the finals last year, which meant we went through Toronto probably six or seven times, which is no easy feat. You're going through customs every time. Yeah. And, um, he, he's, he was like a pack mule. I'm like, Hubie, let me help you with some of your bags. Nope, I got this. Don't worry about it. He's trudging through the airport in his cart. And uh, I, I just hope to still be breathing and capable of making sentences when <laughs> I'm 67 or 77, let alone 87. All right, a couple more with Mark Kestisher, Kesty of the um, – our producer, Bruce Bernstein, has been a friend of yours for nearly 20 years. True or false, he nearly took out a toll booth in Houston in 2006 when he was driving you guys to the airport the morning after the All-Star game. That is absolutely true. Now, first of <laughs> all, I have, to, I have to thank Bruce because he saved our company uh, what probably was a $100 taxi bill because you know that airport is a million miles away from downtown. Yeah. Um, and it was early in the morning. I think we had a 6 a.m. flight, so meet in the lobby at 4 in the morning. And it was the first time he and I really had a chance to talk in the car. So we're having a great conversation at about 75, 80 miles an hour. And neither of us are noticing this light up ahead of, uh, you know, a row of toll booths of about 20, 10 in each direction. And then at some point, I don't know if it was him or it was me, it was like, hey, I think there's a toll booth coming up. 
and he slammed on the brakes, got it down to about, you know, 10, five miles an hour. We made it through good. But I think our conversation was so good. I'm not sure what would have happened. It would have been a great Dukes of Hazard moment. Just blow right through the stop. Blow right through the stop, right. Or he, or Bruce, you could have taken out um, one of the great announcers and uh, play-by-play guys in now in American history. Uh, your thought, your feelings on that, Bruce? Yeah, the, the headlines would have been something like, uh, ESPN announcer, ESPN radio announcer, you know, killed in car crash. Some moron behind the wheel was the reason. No, it'd be like Mark Kestershire and his male companion careened off an embankment Friday. Um, and yeah, it was, yeah, it would have been I think, of all, I think of all the announcers at ESPN and ESPN radio who have kind of clogged up their opportunity to get certain jobs they probably are like why didn't you just go through the toll booth and careen off the highway you could have have gotten them many more opportunities so they're very disappointed right now Uh, i'm just great i'm just grateful to you for for you know um a surviving and b it was you who said um 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 so it wasn't me it was you (laughs) <laughs> yes, it was very, you know, the cobwebs were still, sh- it was a great conversation, though, regardless if we lived or died, we had a great <laughs> I'm glad. Is, the, funny, even now with my wife, I'll, I'll, I'll be excited about something I'm talking about. And she goes, um, uh, you just blew through a red light. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and all, you know, it's just. Well, you talk about how technology has changed. That was 2006, I believe. And during that All-Star weekend in Houston, uh, back in Connecticut, a tree toppled, blown by wind, mm. landed on my wife's car as she was driving 30 miles an hour. It totaled the car. She survived. Had I been her passenger in that car, she's 5'2", I'm 6'3". Oh, you're I dumb. probably would have been decapitated. So A, good yeah. thing I was in Houston. But B, she couldn't get a hold of me for four hours because we didn't have – there was no texting back then. There wasn't even a BlackBerry back then. Mm. All it was was my cell phone was off because we were recording interviews with all the all-stars. And then hours later, I turned it on. And you know, I could tell in her voice after the 13th message she left for me that I needed to call home. Hey, Mike, there was yes. something else very notable about that all-star weekend. And, I, and I'll keep it really quick. Uh, Ed Fabishoff, who at the time was the lead NBA TV or producer for ESPN's NBA games, had yeah. told me before I left, he said, you know, there's this guy on the Rockets who's pretty much winding down his career. You should meet with him. He might be a good candidate to possibly get into our business. And I said, sure, who is it? He's there, John Barry. So oh, I'm going to say Jeff Van Gundy. <laughs> so, so, so I met with John. <laughs> He's in like about to some... get fired. <laughs> so I met with John and it totally hit it off. I mean, John remains a great friend to this day. But I remember thinking to myself, oh, Ed, you are so right. So I went to the honchos at ESPN. I said, you know, Ed Fabishoff told me to talk to John Barry, blah, 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 finishing his career. And he has just been an incredible, incredible analyst for TV mm. and for radio for all these years. And uh, at all, that was the other thing that happened that All-Star Weekend in Houston. So uh, back to you guys. Back, back, back to the people <laughs> who are actually interesting in this conversation. Oh, that was good. And you know what I love about JB and like his dad, Rick, they are not short on opinion. And that's the best part for me of working a game with John Barry. He's limited, obviously, for radio analysts. It's hard yeah. to put a word in. But when he does, he always uh, makes a great point and foreshadows. Rick Barry was my idol as a kid because I grew up in Northern California. And, um, and one of the great moments of my career, it turned out to be one of the weirdest moments. And 
he, I was in San Antonio for game seven of the Pistons San Antonio series. Maybe it was a net series. Anyway, the, 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 the Spurs were going seven. It was in San Antonio. And obviously, um, Brent Berry is on that team. And, um, and, and all of a sudden, I see Rick at halftime. And I knew him a little bit. But he goes, hey, how you doing? I go, good, good. And he goes, uh, I got an extra ticket. Do you want to sit with me? And I said, it's the press room. And I don't have to file my story until after the game. So, so, I, so I watched the last, you know, whatever it was, two quarters of the game seven with Rick Barry. And all he did was like say, like, okay, whoever makes the least mistakes loses. And he kept going, that's a stupid play right there. That's just, and I'm like, I'm watching game seven. Stop it, Rick. <laughs> and, um, and, of course, his kid made a couple big free throws at the end. But it's just I'm sitting there with this guy. And I'm thinking, you know, God bless you. No wonder nobody's going to hire you as their coach. You can just go off on the guys I remember uh, every day. We had, we've had him a couple times, Rick, um, uh, on our studio shows during the NBA Finals. And one in particular, I think, was in the 2008 Finals in Boston, the first Celtics-Lakers yeah. that two in three years. And we had great seats. Like, we don't get studio seats like this anymore. We were at the table, which is now oh, $20,000 a seat seat. So there's no media down there. And we'd have Magic Johnson on one day, whoever was just roaming around. And we had Rick that particular day. And I, the first question I asked him was just, you know, how do you think the Lakers can recover in the second half? And it was just cut, 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 cut. <laughs> Everything that was wrong, he did not hold it back. And, yeah. you know, that's what, uh, you know, either people love or people hate about Rick Barry. My last one is, uh, oh, I got two if you're okay with it. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Really good. Um, the, you know, the we've kind of taken this show the last few weeks and because of all of the uh, racial reckoning going around this country and the social conscience, really a renaissance of it shown by all the athletes of today, especially the NBA, we've really gone wholeheartedly in on it. And, and for all the good, right reasons, I wonder, well, as a broadcaster, you, you're obviously part of the NBA. You have to sort of um, communicate these messages as well. And what, like, and not that your politics are any different than anybody else's, but do you find yourself like, oh, geez, am I going over a line that, I, that I'm not supposed to in broadcasting as a guy like that? Or, or do you, are you just with the motion of like, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to say, you know, how do you convey that to your audience? Or do you, do you stay away from it a little? You know, I, I, I don't want to say I stay away from it because we, you know, we're describing everything that's going on. But I will say that I haven't gone all in, if you will. I mean, and it's really... Uh, look, ESPN has given us lots of latitude. I don't think yeah. anyone said, here's what you could say, here's what you can't say. Um, the radio is a little different animal because there's so much description going on. Like uh, we mentioned, we had the blowout game, game one versus, uh, you know, Denver and the Clippers. And that gave us some latitude to actually tell some stories in the fourth quarter and yeah. try to get a little action in because you're the eyes of the audience. Um, so for us, it's more, for me at least, it's been more descriptive as in, here's what player X has done, or, or just describing the scene of what we're doing here, or just communicating what's been told to us through the coaches. We don't really have a ton of access to the players. In fact, I've, I haven't spoken to a player yet because most of our Zooms have all been head coaches. You know, I'm hoping we can talk to players. Um, so I'm not afraid to describe, you know, what's happening. I haven't really injected myself into the conversation, sure. but more of that is based on, you know, uh, for my job, we're really calling play by play. The studio is handling all of the other times. So there really aren't 
a lot of opportunities to put yeah, it in. You're not doing the analysis. I mean, you're not the guy that's supposed to be the commentary guy. Yeah. I don't know how you, I don't know how you feel about this one. Last, I want to leave with you on this way out. I feel like if LeBron James wins another title, which would be his fourth and third with uh, three different, no no guy has ever led three three uh, different franchises to a title as the number one player on the roster. And so I don't know. I'm a, I'm of the opinion that that he he either unseats or definitely joins the GOAT conversation like like never before. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's – look, that's a huge notch in the belt. And I've been saying since the start of the season that this was his last best chance. And I said that because he was injured for so much last year and with no postseason. Mm -hmm. It was the longest stretch he'd ever had to let his body heal. Now – I could be wrong in the fact that he could still have this production at 36, 37, 38, but that doesn't make sense, right, in basketball. At some point, he's going to hit that where, you know, he's not 25, 8, and 10 anymore. So I felt this was the best chance. And then you put it in the bubble where um, I don't want to say anything can happen, but this we're more apt to see not chalk happening here in Orlando. Yeah. So to me, I think he smells it. And he, I mean, he always does, but here he is, you know, two series away, definitely is. And conversely, if I can add this to the conversation as well, is Kawhi Leonard's, you know, just in his prime and he yeah. could do the same thing. You know, he could have three championships with three teams and he could be, you know, the finals MVP. Yeah, I did. I, well. I completely, uh, completely got away from me. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's like almost that. Uh, yeah, that's very good. so stealthy. I mean, his game is stealthy, and yeah. his career, in some respects, is stealthy. And when it's all said and done, he's going to be among the greats too. Even though you know he's as quiet as he is and shies away from all the spotlight. Yeah. But yes, I think in your original analysis or question is, um, I think championship or not, he's still going to be. You know, when we look back at it, it's always hard to say. Yeah. He's in those top. I hate to say top five because then we start having the discussion. There's so yeah. many great players in NBA history. You know, come up with your best five right. just by uh, guards, forwards, and center, and we could have a great discussion for hours. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I, I like, As we said before we got on, I, I really hadn't gotten to know you. I'd seen you a lot and probably said hi 20,000 times and talked to all the people you work with and act like I knew them better than I did. But it was it was really good to catch up with you and hear your insights and and shoot stay safe down there man. I appreciate it. I'm I'm the guy on radio who sucks up all the oxygen because of all the description. But really, the <laughs> people I work with are the stars. You know, the Hubies, the late Dr. Jack, the PJs, the JBs, and so I feel well, we, we tried to get all them first, but we took you. <laughs> That's okay. You know what? I knew it was the bottom of the barrel, and it was time for me to emerge. That's not true. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. That was dope. All right, friends, it's time to wrap this up. Thanks to my guest, Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio. Thanks also to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, and to our editor, Tom Phillip. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams has a new show every Tuesday. Their most recent show had PJ Carlissimo. Wait, I thought he was my guest. And radio voice Kevin Kugler talking about the late Georgetown coach, John Thompson. The stories were tremendous. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin had Eric Name of The Athletic discussing the Milwaukee Bucks. They have a new show every Wednesday. 
Monica McNutt and King McClure. They were tremendous last week on the show. They're here each Thursday with Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. And, of course, B.J. Armstrong is back with Eric Newman on the Pure Hoops podcast, which drops every Friday. And I'm back next Monday with a brand-new edition of the Mike Wise Show from Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Listen up, everyone. Here's your weekly reminder that we're not out of the woods with the COVID-19 pandemic yet, so please keep our medical professionals and essential workers in your thoughts. Continue to maintain social distancing, wash your hands, and wear that mask to protect yourself and others. And please keep working for social justice with our fellow citizens of all races and religions for striving for a more inclusive and just society. If you like The Mike Wise Show, please subscribe, rate us, review us, and leave a five-star rating. It would mean a lot. I'll be back next week, and while we expect to be talking playoffs, these days you just never know. See you then, and stay pure. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.